1: Good afternoon, good
2: evening, Jiu-Jitsu fans. Hope you guys were having a pretty positive Tuesday. I know things are still pretty wild out there, but we're bringing you the news. We're bringing you some exciting stuff. Uh, we're very excited to have two huge guests today on Who's Number One. We have the absolute ADCC champ, Gordon Ryan. Craig Jones is also here, uh, the the evil twin of Gordon or something like that. Of course, I'm joined by my regular co-host, Michael Sears. Gentlemen, how you guys doing? You're both uh, in New York, New Jersey area, right? How's it going out there?
1: Well, we're still alive, so can't really complain. Everybody.
2: I guess that's better than the, the opposite there. Um, we, we were just chatting a little bit before we went live. You guys are still getting some rounds in. What What's the, the training like? What's happening out there?
1: Uh, yeah, so we're training in a secret hidden location. And uh, <laughs> training is pretty normal. We don't have any morning classes. We just do one session a day due to the lack of partners. But uh, we train same time every day in the afternoon, 12 o'clock, 12.30 and uh seven days a week you know that's what it is the train doesn't stop for for anything pretty much so you know we're still doing our training and uh you know uh have some mats laid down and uh, you know we're doing what we can
3: what's it like in new york right now because obviously you guys are usually every day in like one of the busiest places on earth is it a lot uh a lot more dead out there is it you know places vacated or what's it like in manhattan these days
1: uh it's great there's no traffic uh there's little, like, angry people like honking everywhere and like pushing you out of the way when you're trying to walk places um so it's uh it's like a paradise for me actually it's like super super calm there's still people moving there's still cars there's still people walking around and stuff like that but it's definitely like 90 percent less populated than it is usually so it's uh for, for new york it's definitely a ghost town
3: What about you, Craig? What have you been up to lately, besides training once a day with them? What are you What are you doing during quarantine?
0: Basically nothing, but I mean, life hasn't changed too much for me. All I really do is train and do nothing. But like, (laughs) speaking in New York, speaking in New York right now, it's basically empty except for uh, the homeless people around. But those guys seem to be getting a bit more desperate because there's no visitors going in giving them money. So it seems kind of sketchy going into the city right now.
2: Man, it definitely sounds a little bit apocalyptic, a little bit uncomfortable. What's the room uh, vibe in the room like when you guys are training? Is it a little bit of semblance of normalcy? or I know the last day I trained, it felt really weird in there. Like everyone was a little bit somber. It wasn't quite as fun. Um, do you guys get a little bit of relief when you're when you're back training?
1: I mean, it's pretty much the only normal thing that we have right now. I mean, everything else in our lives, like everyone's trying to regulate and everyone's freaking out. Um, training is the only thing that's semi-normal. I mean... You can't do all the stuff that everyone's telling you to do. You can't be clean. You can't stay away from people. I mean, it's, it's you know, training is training. Um, it's uh, it's like the one hour to two hours of my life that, like, is actually normal. And I'm just home, like, doing nothing. I'm so glad that I moved out of Harlem because I would probably <laughs> kill myself in there for, like, 22 hours a day, every single day. So um, I'm pumped to be out of there.
2: What are you uh, looking forward to, Gordon? You know, there, there's a, a lot of questions surrounding your career. You announced your early retirement uh, sometime around Christmas, and then uh, you mentioned that you had some obligations you need to finish out. Um, what are you looking forward to competing in next?
1: Uh, so, you know, I was going to compete against Guardio, um, but that obviously got canceled, uh, and then I was talking to him and he said that he didn't want to compete until after E-World because he wanted to focus on that. But that got postponed or canceled. We don't know yet. So, um, you know, everything's kind of up in the air right now. Um, uh, I'm looking to compete, you know, as much as possible. Um, right now what I'm trying to do while everyone's stuck inside is get instructionals filmed. Um, we're having an issue because everything is, sh- everything is shut down in Boston. And apparently the police are going around to businesses with cars outside of them and, like, arresting people. Wow. If their businesses were not supposed to be open, so I can't go to Boston to film. So I'm trying to find a place uh, with, with good acoustics where I can actually, you know, get some some uh, some stuff filmed, um, so we can get another release out uh, next month and then the month after. So um, that's like my main goal right now because everyone's stuck inside. Everyone's trying to learn more stuff digitally. So um, that's what I'm focusing on now because obviously there's no competitions. Uh, and then whenever this stuff eases up. Um, you know, I'm just looking to God and compete in, you know, any tournament that wants to have me compete for them. So, what's
3: what kind of instructionals are you looking at uh, putting out next? You any idea what kind um, of systems?
1: Yeah, so we just did uh, attacking turtle, um, and we're gonna do back attacks next. Uh, my interpretation of uh, how to attack the back, controlling the back, and finishing, and then. Uh, after that, we're going to do open guard, the big one everyone's ever, the big one that uh, everybody's been waiting for. So uh, the open guard's coming after that. Um, I'm just trying to get those two done. The open guard's halfway done. and I have to do the commentary for the matches, and backpack isn't done at all.
3: Um, so the backpack and then open guard is going to be the, the, next, the next two. What about you, Craig? You got anything coming out? Any instructionals or
0: anything? Uh, no instructionals planned right now, but... i just finished this seminar tour and we uh we recorded every single round i did with everyone so i probably got like maybe two and a half hours of rolling footage i'm just gonna start narrating slowly release give everyone something to watch while they're bored right now
2: yeah that'd be rolling footage is key definitely keeps you inspired um i don't i don't mean to to harp on this gordon but i I just very curious i know a lot of people had a lot of questions are you actually retiring from jiu-jitsu was that just like a, a flash in the pan um I feel like no one really knows uh, what, what happened there.
1: Well, <laughs> so, uh, I basically was competing every month or doing something big every month from ADCC on. Um, but I knew I wasn't competing in January, but I still knew that I had to be in the front of every media page for January because I was competing December and then February. So I was like, well, I just won everything. I was undefeated in 2019. So if I say I'm going to retire, everyone will talk about it. So I may as well say that while I'm not competing. <laughs> it worked perfectly everyone started talking about it i got a lot of followers everyone made a big deal out of it and uh then i started competing in february announced that i wasn't going to retire anymore and uh yeah it worked perfectly
3: (laughs) so you guys were at ground zero for the big uh the big pandemic of 2019 the super pink eye (laughs) what what ended up happening with that a lot of people blame you for craig are you are you patient zero for for super pink eye
0: and my patient zero. Uh, the f- I mean, the first team I heard to have it was Atos. Ah, I remember Hinger catching it earlier in the year, but Hinger.
1: Uh, yeah, I actually the had it earlier in the year.
0: What was that Hinger going? To you broke truck- up a little bit there.
1: I said Hinger and the Rotolos had it in the earlier in the year, and apparently someone that we competed against at Kinetic before ADCC had it.
3: Hmm. All right, so it went from Atos to Kinetic, and then out to you guys. What was it like getting that thing, man? Everybody at, at ADCC was just saying how horrible it was. How bad was it?
0: My vision was kind of fucked up until maybe February this year, but it was really only contagious, I think, for maybe a month, month afterwards. But I guess like I was considered patient zero the worst at ADCC. So I guess that's that's why I was public enemy number one. I remember Josh Ingram; he tried to get me kicked out of the tournament. And you know what this guy did on this on the end of the first day, right? <laughs> after the after my last match, he came up to me. He's like, "Craig, let's get a let's take a selfie so uh, we can uh, say so we're both in the semifinals the next day." So he takes a photo of me, he makes me take my sunglasses off, and then he posts it later and crops himself out. And he's like, "Craig Jones has pink eye for ADCC." Oh like,
2: man. God, a little bait and switch. That's vicious. A real snake effort. <laughs> <laughs> I have to ask him about that. Get him on the podcast. So he
3: tricked you into taking a selfie with him and then and then uh, put you on blast with it?
0: Yeah, he's like, let's take a selfie for the semifinals, he's trying to be like the nice guy and stuff, and then he immediately crops me out and posts it.
3: <laughs> dirty,
0: <laughs> dirty. Dirty.
3: dirty. he
1: knows that's the only way he'll ever beat Craig in an actual jiu-jitsu match, is by not chasing him <laughs> because he's...
0: Man, yeah, that's a match we have all we've been yeah. dying to see for it's the last time. A match that surprisingly <laughs> never
3: happened. Is that a match that you would want, Craig?
0: I've uh, I've tried to set it up a few times with different promoters and stuff, but uh it's sadly never come together. One day, one day we'll get back in action. Gordon, how do you think that, that match
3: would how do you think that match would go down, Gordon?
1: Uh I think it's gonna be the entire match of Hanger just stalling with his hips back. Um it's- Craig can get on top of him. He's going to easily pass his guard and finish him. And if Josh engages at all, he's going to easily leg lock him. Um, Josh pretty much has zero bottom game of any kind, and Craig's passing is very good. Uh, so if Craig is on top, he'll easily pass him or take his back. And uh, if Josh pressures forward into him, he's just going to get his legs broken. So I think it's a pretty easy win for Craig. As long as he doesn't fuck it up like he always does. Craig's much better at he gets it, than <laughs>
3: <laughs> Damn, ruthless. <laughs> ruthless prediction there. Uh, is, uh, what are you thinking about the uh, the Galval, uh fight in 2021? Is that something that you, you think is going to happen? Like, what do, what do you think about that one, Gordon?
1: Uh, I think it has a lot to do with two things. Um, number one – or three things. I think number one has a lot to do with how honest – his students were going back to Atos and telling him how the rounds went in Miami. Um, a lot of people rationalize things uh, when the rounds are over to not kill themselves. Um, so if their students are honest, there's no way that uh, Gobal will ever compete against me ever in his life. Um, if they say, oh, you know, I did okay, I wasn't really trying, or, you know, I was out of shape, blah, 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 then maybe he'll be like, okay, I'll compete against him. Another thing uh, that will come to play is how I perform over the next two years. Um, If I go in until ADCC 2021 and I just crush everyone and no one's even competitive, uh, I think it'll be something that deters him from wanting to compete. Um, But if I go and have a tough match with someone who he's beaten easily, maybe, um, or he sees a a big hole in my game where I'm kind of exposed uh, per se, then I think that that will encourage him to compete. Uh, And the third one is... It will depend on how big the event actually is for ADCC 2021, uh, whether or not they raise the prize money, um, how big they make it promotional wise. Uh, like if there's billboards in Las Vegas with both of our pictures on it, you know, things like that, if there's, if they double the prize money or, you know, up the prize money to a considerable amount, uh, that may have to do with it. Just a general promotion, um, around his name, um, may encourage him to do it as well.
3: How do you think that match would play out? Just from an uh, analysis point of view.
1: I think it'll be a match uh, from his perspective. He wants to make it pretty much the same as the Felipe match one. I think he wants to keep it standing, play a very tactical game. Um, he's pretty tactically sound. Um, he knows that he can't compete with me on a technical level. Like if he actually does, you to do the crush. Um, and I think that he and everybody else knows that. But uh, tactically, I think it's his best way to beat me. I think if he... Uh, if he chooses to keep it standing and tries to wear me out with hand fighting and take me down repeatedly and score a point here or there or just do enough to win a decision, I think he's more than happy with that. Um, and that's shown in his last super fight, he yes, hasn't seen anybody. So, um, in all the super fights, I think that he's more than happy with winning uh, a, a tight tactical battle.
3: Uh, well, I mean, he's somebody who he's obviously won the ADCC super fight a few times in a row. Why are you so confident that it would be that easy for you? Just to...
1: Um, in terms of a technical – in terms of comparing us technically, I'm much better than him. Um, as far as just strictly Jiu-Jitsu, I know a lot more than him. I'm much better at Jiu-Jitsu. Um, the only question is tactically, uh, will I be able to keep a hold of him? Um, like will I be able to sweep him without him just disengaging and you know, jumping in, make it look like he's – give the illusion that he's creating action but not really doing anything? Um, and then going into overtime and trying to just take me down or pick up single legs to make it look like he's working. Um, technically I don't really think it's going to be an issue, but, uh, there's a lot of tactics that go into winning ADCC and people don't realize that. So it's going to make a big difference.
3: I think, uh, Craig, what do you got to say about that?
0: Yeah. I mean, I'm really excited on the prospects that it actually happened. I think obviously probably be the most hyped super fight ever. So I'm really, from my point of view, praying it happens, but yeah, I think, uh, Having trained with everyone I've trained with, all the major teams around the world, no one's beats me up like Gordon. So obviously, he beats me up in competition as well. But uh, yeah, I don't think that's a good match for anyone right now. So I think it'd be pretty uh, pretty dominant as long as, yeah, like Gordon said, he doesn't uh, tactically sort of uh, stalemate it and edge it out.
3: All right. We were going to play some matches and uh, watch them with you guys and just sort of hear your guys' thoughts on it. Uh, you guys ready to get into that? Caleb, we got uh we got uh asset number one. I do not believe that this is it that you guys have queued up. Oh, there we go. So we're gonna okay a little introduction here. We're gonna watch the match, which is basically the first time everybody heard of Craig Jones. No offense, Craig. You versus Leandro. <laughs> what did you think going into this match, Craig?
0: Uh, I really I don't know. I really barely remember. Hey, I I was uh, worried he was gonna disengage the whole time, and I wasn't gonna be able to uh, get a hold of him. But I think uh. The lack of respect he probably showed, given that I was a no-namer, he actually committed and tried some things that allowed me to get the uh, ultimately get the finish.
3: Yeah, I mean, obviously, he's he's a lot more well-known for his uh, Gi uh, competitions, but I mean, he had just fought Gordon Nogi not long before this, right, Gordon? Yeah,
1: uh, yeah, he fought me in the West Coast Trials, so it was a couple months before this.
3: And uh, so what are you thinking here? Uh, you're going back as a guy who's you know, basically a Hall of Fame career. uh What was your mindset then as an unknown competitor, Craig? Like just go out there? Uh, Well,
0: well, Leandro doesn't really have a lot of submission, especially in Nogi. So my thoughts were I want to attack him as much as possible within the uh, no points period just to pursue him, right? And I also figured I would have a a leg lock advantage. I don't think uh, Leandro really had much of a leg lock and especially heel hooking game. So that was really the focus there. Uh, The big uncertainty in my head was if I actually got a hold of his leg and it broke, would he tap? And as some of them try to secure a heel hook and it severely breaks his leg, but he didn't uh, obviously didn't tap. But I think that's what led right here to finish later. In the yeah, you heard, did you so, hear a break there? I heard. Yeah, it's kind of pretty horrible. When he exploded out, he actually made it come on much worse than it initially was. But he does, He has a really good poker face of not showing that later in the match.
3: Yeah, well, he comes from the same school as the Meows and those guys, Cicero Costa b- back then. So, yeah, they're pretty hardcore. So, all right. So, what are you thinking now? You just broke the guy's leg. He didn't tap. What you thinking? You got to get to his back or what?
0: I was thinking I would give it another shot to go for the heel, and then try and turn to a sweep if he was tapping. But I was uh, the more damage I could do to his legs, the more confidence I would have had for the overtime or the points period if he was uh, unable to balance really or put any pressure on that injured knee.
3: Do you ever lo- look back at these old matches and just be like, oh, man, I was I was shit back then? Because like, obviously you've come a long way since then. Do, when you watch your 2017 matches, do you like, man, I'm way better now?
0: Yeah, I mean, for sure. I really didn't know what I was doing most of the time i have been training. Like, when I first started, my coach was a white belt. I didn't even train with Lachlan Giles until I think maybe a year or so before this match. Really, was like start of 2016, end of 2015. So I'd never really had a coach or high level training partners to train with. So when I look back, I really was just making this shit up from studying and watching YouTube and shit, trying to break uh, break down other people's matches.
3: So what what goes through your head after you eventually get this thing here when you you tap Leandro Lowe, obviously a legendary guy? You're like, well, you just like, oh shit, like what just happened? Like, what are you thinking?
0: Yeah, I mean, I was. Uh, I was, for the most part, as shocked as everyone else. But I guess what I was thinking is, hopefully, this is going to be easier for me to get some seminars, make some actual <laughs> uh, money. Gordon,
3: what do you think about uh, Craig here? Did you had you guys even met each other yet when this match happened?
1: Uh, so this is actually, I lost sleep over this, not this match particularly, but um, I uh, I kn- I knew of Craig. So I, w- I did a lot of research in everyone in my division, uh, and I watched tape on every everyone who I thought I could potentially fight. Um, like the night before, and Craig was on the opposite side of the bracket, so I was like, oh, there's no way he's making it to the finals. So I didn't, I didn't look up any tape on Craig. So then I knew who he was because he had fought Taza in the Purple Belt Nogi Worlds in 2015. I won the Brown Belt Worlds that year, and uh, I was coaching Taza against Craig in the finals of Purple Belt Worlds. Uh, and I also saw him fight Nathan Orchard at the Sapotaro Invitational when I fought Wagner Hosher uh, the first time. So I knew who Craig was. I knew he'd been on the scene, um, but he and he also competed at the EBI with uh with uh with me at 170. So I knew who he was. I knew he'd been on the scene. I knew he was good, but I was like, oh, there's no way he's gonna beat like that side of the bracket. Like that was the most stacked division ever for yeah, ADCC. It was like crazy. it was like him, Leandro, Keenan uh, was on the other side, um, and I was like, okay, well, there's there's no way he's gonna make it even past the first round. So then he heel hooks Leandro or, he, uh, strangles Leandro and then he flying triangles Marcelo. And I'm like, Oh shit. So then that day I'm like, well, what if he beats Keenan tomorrow? I, don't, I haven't looked at his game at all. So I like had to stay up for like hours that night, like researching Craig Jones tape to make sure I knew what his game was like. <laughs> And then he goes out and like, I had to fight Keenan in the final. So I knew, I knew Keenan. Um, but, uh, I didn't do like any research at all on Craig. He was the only one. I was like, "Oh, there's no way he's gonna make it to the finals." And then the, after the first thing, I was like, "Oh my god, what if I have to fight him tomorrow?" I think about him. So I stayed up like an extra three hours looking at Craig Jones tape on YouTube wherever I could find it.
2: <laughs> that of course paid off maybe a little bit later though at, at EBI where you guys had a match just a few months after after ADCC.
0: <laughs>
3: there's Leandro going for that. Yeah, I mean, it has to, you have to think, because he's a guy who stands up to pass a lot, too, that breaking his leg early like that or, you know, popping his knee had to have really uh, hindered his ability after that, too. Don't you think? Hey.
2: Hi, guys. Hey, hey what's going on?
3: <laughs> so here we go. You get to the back now. What are you thinking right now at this point in the match, Craig?
0: Um, I was thinking, like, I should. Whether or not I get the submission, I would at least be able to uh, score the points to and maintain that position for the victory. But um, at this point, I, he does—he's not really trying to escape. You know what I mean? Like, so I was pretty confident it was done. But yeah, obviously, I was as surprised as everyone else. I think the only guy that told me I had a chance to win was—I um, ran into Matt Tesla, one of uh, Danaher's mm-hmm. guys—that mm-hmm. morning in the cafeteria. And I remember him. He's like a real analytical guy, and he's like, uh, he's like, Craig, what's your uh, strategy with Leandro? And I'm like, I'm just gonna pull guard. And he was like, That's it. That's the end of the strategy. <laughs> but yeah, he, thought, he actually thought I had a good chance of winning. I remember the guys told me that he he had told Danaher's crew that he thought I'd have a good chance of doing well at ADCC, and they were all like, No, no way. But then yeah, he was happy. You can see him in the crowd actually after that match, standing up, clapping.
2: <laughs> that's amazing um, I don't want to derail the analysis at all but I feel like it's a great time to, to ask you about this um, when did you make the connection to start training with uh, with John and the guys in the basement and then Gordon what was it like having Craig come in as like a former competitor uh, you know an adversary joining the squad more or less you know what was that transition like
1: okay uh, Craig you can go first
0: um i'm trying to remember i think the first time i came in was after kasai i think it was a week after we faced off against each other at uh ebi so i think that's the first time i came in and yeah basically i got my ass kicked so bad i was like i gotta spend some more time here basically i was i was the youtube uh ripoff version of these guys from australia So <laughs> we that in there and feel it firsthand and yeah just been progressively trying to get over there more and more ultimately until now where I've made it out there uh, permanently just in time for the shutdown
2: Gordon did you guys uh, put it on him when, when he was invited to the basement was it a beat down on purpose
1: <laughs> um, I, I go with different speeds like some days like when I train with someone especially a competitor um, you know for me I like training with with people I compete against um, for a few reasons number one um, I feel that you know, it's just good to feel other guy, other top level guys in the world, especially guys that are closer to my size. Um, so it's really good to get a different feel for because everyone, everyone at John's class, we all do the same thing. Like we all play an inside position based game, and we all kind of have the same set of ideas that we're trying to, you know, uh, enforce. Um, but uh, whenever other good good guys come in from different places, it's always a pleasure for me to train with them. Um, and, uh, you know, I knew I'd be competing against Craig gang, uh, Craig again. And I'm like, okay, well, if I train with him, you know, I'll know what his whole game is and I'll just be able to beat him easier. Next time I compete against him, um, yeah. uh, you know, he came in and you know, some days I would go super hard with him and I would try to beat him up. And some days I would like, let him get me into like bad positions and see like, you know, you know what his finishing mechanics are on a triangle. What are his finishing mechanics like on an arm bar? Um, and I would let him put, I let, you know, I let all these guys put me in bad positions to see if they can actually hold me down or give me trouble from different situations. Um, you know, sometimes I get submitted, sometimes I escape and, you know, either way I'm learning, you know, what their game is like and what reactions they're going to give me. Um, so he was there for a little while on and off, uh, after the Kasai, like he talked about. And then, uh, he actually was trained there for a few months and then we actually ended up competing again at Quintet. And, uh, I learned his game and then i beat him easier that time so that was good and then uh after that i was like uh people just kept trying to get us to compete and he was kept training at henzo's and i'm like i was like if it's all right with you like i don't want to compete against you anymore like you know i feel like you're you know becoming part of the team and you know i feel like we're just you know more great training partners for each other than you know opponents at this point and uh he was like yeah you know it's it's fine with me so um and then he kind of started spending as much time as he could here um he would go to teach seminars but you know, he had the visa issue where he couldn't stay forever uh, in the country, but now he's here for good, and, uh, you know, so it's good to have him on the team.
3: How have you seen his game change since he ended up uh, training there under John with all you guys?
1: Uh, dude, he's literally twice as better, uh, twice as good. Um, he, uh, the biggest improvement, I would say, uh, in Craig's overall game um, is his late defenses. Um, when Craig first came to the gym – if he got his guard passed by a purple belt, he was getting submitted by a purple belt. Um, like, <laughs> um, but, uh,
0: uh, he's,
1: he's very good. Like, if you pass his guard now or you take his back you put him in a bad spot, um, you know, I'm pretty confident that he, he can escape with most people in the world. Um, he, he there was a, a huge gap between his early defenses. Like, he, if he would play his guard and he would get his game going, um, he'd be very good. But the second you put him in a bad spot, he would be, uh, you just have no real defenses, um, which is the case with most top-level guys in the world because they just don't get put in bad spots much. Um, but he's really worked on putting himself in bad positions and uh, working on the things that he's not good at. So now he's better at the things that he was already good at, and he's much, much better in his uh, his late escapes, pin escapes, and things like that. So it's, it's been it's night and day. Like if if Craig trained with himself, you know, six months or a year ago, um, they wouldn't even be
0: competitive.
3: Obviously, uh, whatever you guys are doing there is working. I mean, you guys have so many high-level uh, competitors there. Craig, what did you think, being someone who came up for so long outside of that team and then training with them later on, what did you think that they were doing there that was, was making people accelerate so fast in, in their, their learning and their skills?
0: I, I guess it's just like the systems approach. You know what I mean? Everyone has a, a, a specific strategy from each position. But as well, like they really do train bad positions. Like when I came up, I was just uh, basically an IBJJF guy, and my line of thinking for the IBJJF, especially in the gi, was like, uh, if you get your guard passed, it's you've already lost. Like it's so hard to come back from a three-point deficit in IBJJF. So most of my sparring would just be open guard sparring because that's the battle that really won the match. You know what I mean? Sweep or pass. A lot of sweep or pass drills. So like he said, yeah, my late stage defense. Was pretty terrible because I'd never really trained those positions before. I started to train some of those positions when I started doing EBI, but really uh, I didn't have a clear technical uh, technical answers from those bad positions.
3: Yeah, uh, like you said, you used to do a lot of IBJJF stuff. People, I think people don't realize that. I, I saw in our archives there was an old gi match of you and Marigali like as purple belts, I think. <laughs>
2: Yeah, yeah, we yeah, talked that's about a that a little unfold. bit in the last podcast.
3: Yeah. <laughs> oh, you guys talked about it when he was on fistball. Just a little
2: bit because I, I made the same discovery as looking up Craig Jones videos. I'm like, oh shit, that's yeah, right. like <laughs> the world pro, and the guy is a
3: purple or something on there. Uh, all right, you guys want to? The, the next one I was going to pull up was uh, a Gordon match. This was also from 2017. If you can pull that up, Caleb. Uh, this is the first time that you went against Cyborg. So obviously he was an ADCC absolute champ and all that. What are you thinking going into this one, Gordon?
1: Yeah, so let me... First of all, I have this little thing on my screen. I can only see half the match. I'm going to do the best I
3: can. All right. Um, we uh, can go full screen if you want, Caleb. Yeah, Caleb, put the match full screen and let him talk over it so he can uh, see the...
1: I don't know what box. I'm like half the screen. I can't see Craig's face, and I can't see the match too too Uh, well. But I can see, like... um, But yeah, full screen would definitely help. Um, So going into the match, uh, you know, with Cyborg, I was expecting, you know, him to be... uh, strong uh i was expecting him to overreact if you see like a lot of cyborgs reactions like he he freaks out a lot like he he explodes in ways that aren't really efficient sometimes like when you go to grab his leg like he like will jump away instead of just pulling away and re-entering um so the the, the goal of the match was to keep a really high pace and get him tired um just do fainting and uh and harassing his feet if he stood on top of me uh, which he always stands to pass for the most part unless he can force a half guard um so you see how I'm harassing his feet here double Quiches and you see how he's kind of like jumping away from me like he could have just stepped back there but he's giving me you know big ag- aggressive movements um, throughout the whole match but he drops to his knees and now I threaten snapping into a front head and he's moving away so you see him the whole time I'm chasing him forwards
3: yeah so you're always talking about harassing the feet I always hear you saying that when you're coaching your teammates something that you're really big on huh there you go harassing the feet right
1: yeah so you say he tries to jump away he gives you such he gives you these huge reactions where he tries to pull out in away. way but um you know if he would have just faced me and just pummeled his leg it would have been a lot easier so now you, you see that uh that uh that transition there i don't know if you guys can go back a second
3: caleb can you uh there you go all right okay stop
1: here okay now you see my legs on top of his what I want is my for my bottom leg to actually be underneath his. So I, actually, I actually tricked him from here. So I was forcing, I was putting pressure down on his leg to make him believe that he wanted to get his knee on top of my foot. But what I actually wanted was to insert my uh, bottom leg, my left leg in this case, underneath his knee. So as I was playing a battle to keep my foot on top, I actually wanted it on bottom. So he made it a point to take his leg on top of mine, and that gave me the perfect cross-hashi entrance. So now when he goes to – when he goes to – when he play a little bit further, when he puts his knee on top of mine, he goes right into the crosshashi. He puts himself in cross And now he has no base support out and over his butt, and it's pretty easy to sit him down with two legs controlled. So, you know, once I was here, he was – he pretty much – his only defense was to hold the two-on-one. And, uh, you know, it was pretty – you've all seen the Dannefer breakdown of this, I'm sure. But um, with the two – he just kept the two-on-one while I was trying to separate his legs. Right here, he's just trying to pull his legs in towards his butt as hard as he could, but, I mean, there wasn't really any technical level of defense from here. He's just kind of holding onto my hands until he eventually got submitted.
3: If you were him, what would you have done right there?
1: Uh, so he has to try to free a secondary leg, which is his right leg in this case. So now you see I release the right leg. If he would have started rolling towards the camera, uh, he would have been able to at least start his defense, um, but he... He didn't even choose to do that. You see how his right leg is free now? I have to release that leg in order for him to – in order for me to attack a heel. Um, But he doesn't start rolling, so it makes it easy for me to get a dig on the heel. And now his only defense is to grab onto my wrist, but I clear that grip pretty easy. And before I even lock my hands, he realized that it was over and that was it.
3: Obviously, uh, when you you and Gary and you guys uh, first started really tearing it up – Something that people really associated with you guys Was the leg lock game Even though you guys probably take the back and choke At a much higher rate than you do leg locks But did you guys feel like you guys were just like Years ahead of people in the leg lock game When you first started going against elite competition
1: uh, Yeah, I mean that That's what John's whole goal was He's He wanted to look at you know What was the gaping hole in current Jiu Jitsu And get us really good at that That way we could Only training 4 or 5 years Could beat guys who were training 10-15 years um, but you know that was their whole thing, and then when people started to worry about leg locks, we just started to do other things. Um, you know, when they defend the leg locks, it makes it much easier to take the back. Um, when you they're worried about you attacking the legs from top position, like the match with homolo for example, he was so worried about me entering into his legs from top that I pass the guard pretty easily. So um, you know, there's a, a big danger when your opponent fears you going forwards towards their towards their head to either pass the guard and take the back, and they fear you dropping back to uh, to enter into the legs and to attack the lower body. So it's a great dilemma to play going forwards and backwards.
2: Would you say it benefits athletes to become a specialist at something, uh, create a bit of a reputation for themselves, and then maybe open the opportunity to work in other avenues like you just mentioned there? I feel like um, most people usually train with the, the aim of being well-rounded, but maybe by specializing early on you could almost be more effective uh I guess earlier I don't know exactly <laughs> you're
3: saying like, is it better to specialize in something early on and become uh, to really open good up something? other
2: other avenues though later like what I was saying there
3: well, our belief is that you
1: have to be good at everything to be well-rounded like everybody else's but you have to have one or two things that you're better than anybody else in the world at um, so while I was a well-rounded athlete coming up um, you know my my standing position kind of lacked behind but I could I could wrestle decent um You know, coming up, uh, you know, my guard passing was good. My bottom guard game was good. All of my attacks were good, but the one thing that I had that I was better than everybody else at was leg attacks. And then eventually it was leg attacks and back attacks. And it was leg attacks and back attacks and triangles and then arm bars and then kimuras and then front headlocks and then guard passing, and it kind of just snowballed. For now, I just feel like I'm better than everybody else from every position. Um, But uh, you you need to be well-rounded and have at least one or two things that you can do better than anybody else in the world. Um, or else you're just going to be like everybody else. Um, if you look at most jiu-jitsu competitions on any given day, anybody can walk into worlds or ADCC and win. Um, so what makes you a dominant athlete over a long amount of time is being able to do the things that everybody else can do plus one or two things that nobody else in the world can do. Um, otherwise it's kind of just a coin flip on who's going to win on that given day.
3: Uh, Obviously, ADCC, ADCC wrestling is so important. How often are you guys working your wrestling these days? Or I, I mean, obviously, right um, now you're we, only training once. But before everything shut down, how how often were you we working your wrestling?
1: We, we wrestle every day. Um, that the emphasis on standing position um, is mostly when we have to do ADCC camp. Uh, so we do a 12 week camp, and then we have a lot more emphasis on standing position um, and scrimmage wrestling for ADCC. Um, but we wrestle every day. There's just not as much emphasis. Like if we're doing an EBI, for example, or a tournament with different rules, we'll focus more on those rules and more on boots for those rule sets um, than we will norm. And then we will for an ADCC camp, for example. Um, it just depends on what camp, what camp we're getting ready for.
2: Craig, are you taking a, a closer look at wrestling these days? I feel like you have a, a giant hurdle in front of you. Mateus Denise being your arch rival. He's of course a great wrestler, great uh, top player. Uh, is wrestling maybe the key to, to overcoming that obstacle?
0: For sure, I try to work my wrestling with everyone apart from Nikki Rod. <laughs> <laughs> Understandable.
3: What's it like wrestling Nicky Rod?
0: Have you uh, seen Nicky Rod? He's <laughs> just so slippery and fast and big. It's just a, it's just an unpleasant time. I leave Gordon to handle that guy.
1: Yeah, it's like uh, imagine trying to grapple a wildebeest.
2: That, that does sound like a tall tale. Before we move on, and I think uh, it might tie into what we're discussing right here, uh, both of you guys, this is for both of you, what what do you identify as the current area of, of lacking technique in the uh, metagame today? Like it used to be leg locks and everyone's kind of caught up now. Where are people missing out uh, in their games today?
1: Uh, I believe it's the interface between gr- uh, ground and standing position. Uh, if you look at the standing position, and the interplay between the two it's, it's very weak
2: so it's not just wrestling though you, you mean like dragging people to the ground and how you attack the turtle uh, all those things combined is, is that what you're saying
1: yeah if you look at if you look at these things um for example like you said attacking turtle um what everyone does is they get a decent level wrestler usually a division one athlete and they ADCC is coming up. You do three months of wrestling before, and the wrestler teaches you moves that would work for wrestling. But the rules and the scoring criteria in ADCC is drastically different from collegiate or freestyle wrestling. So you can't just bring in a wrestler and have them teach you, okay, here's a wrestling move, expect it to work. Um, If you do that, you're going to get the same results as everybody else. Um, What we do is derive from wrestling but the rules and scoring criteria is vastly different. It's more related to mixed martial arts, um, in terms of their are missions, number one. And in jujitsu, when you take someone down, there's usually an unspoken rule where one guy stays on bottom and one guy stays on top to pass in mixed martial arts. If someone gets taken down, usually they don't want to stay down. They want to have to try to stand up. It's the same in ADCC where they at least, if they don't stand up, they have to turtle. Um, so it's very similar in the sense where if someone's trying to get up on you, you have to be a master of chasing the back because everyone's going to either try to stand up and not play guard, and they have to. You have to be able to create back exposure as they're standing up. Um, and then you have things like the scoring criteria is completely different, where uh, you know you can't use the same stance as a wrestler. You can't stand completely bent over and, ha- and a half squat, you know, for a forty-minute ADCC finals match. The so stance is much more upright because get exhausted then. Like, there's a, there's a lot of differences um between traditional wrestling and what we do um and uh i just don't believe that bringing in a wrestler and bolting on a few months of wrestling training that's purely wrestling is going to really help you too much under an adcc style rule set all
3: right all right let's uh move on to the next one uh caleb so we're going back to craig jones this is your next one so now you you, you tap leandro now you got Murillo. Here you go. You sit right away. What are you thinking going to this Murillo match? Quarterfinal. Uh, I, was,
0: I, was, um, I was a bit more worried about Murillo probably for my style than Leandro, just in terms of Murillo is so good at uh, shutting people down with pressure passes. So a lot of people thought I uh, beat Leandro, I should be able to beat Murillo, but uh, technically I thought Murillo would probably pose a few more problems for me. But what I found early in the match was I guess he was so worried about the leg locks, he would sort of, I guess in the way Gordon talked about Cyborg, he'd overcommit to backing away. And that's what initially allowed me to get on top of him to start setting up the, the flying triangle. But I'd been a big fan of Murillo for a long time. I watched a lot of his old school ADCC matches where he had very, very close matches with like Andre Gavao, Kron Gracie. So I've always had a lot of respect for him. He was he uh, was a very good grappler.
3: Yeah, I mean, uh, yeah, Leandro might be the bigger name, but uh, when you're talking Nogi competition, Murillo's much more accomplished than, than Leandro. There you go. Is this a triangle that you had done? Is this a setup that you had hit before in competition, or did you just come to you? Uh,
0: you know what's funny? Actually, the, probably the first time I met Gordon, I hit a flying triangle on uh, Nathan Orchard at that Sapatero tournament. But uh, I hit the flying triangle, and Nathan Orchard managed to survive <laughs> for <about> seven, eight <laughs> minutes. And Gordon, what'd you say? Out into-
1: I said he was in the triangle for like nine and a half minutes. I, like, I was watching the match, and I was like, I'm like, fuck, what? is this he's he going to finish a triangle or what?
0: <laughs> I was so tired from the triangle track that when he finally escaped, I couldn't even walk, and he actually heel-hooked me with like a second left on the clock or something like that. I think that might be the only time I've been heel-hooked at Black Belt. That's a terrible memory. I'm surprised you brought that one up. Yes. Yeah, so this, <laughs> this,
3: this triangle that you hit here, is this something that you had normally been doing? or?
0: Y- I, I hit a lot of the triangles off the overhook, and I use the uh, overhook especially against a standing opponent. If I catch the triangle with the sort of overhook position, I find it harder to show. So especially someone like Nikki like Rod, I find if I control that overhook and they start to the posture out, they find it much harder to to drop me or, or for me to slip out of the triangle. So against Marilla, when I hit it standing, I try to keep the whizzer or the overhook just to keep a bit more grip, so I don't just fall straight off of him. So if you see when he uh, when I eventually commit to it, I got a really strong overhook here to sort of hold on tight to him.
3: Do you think the fact that ADCC you wouldn't give up points, for instance, for a sweep right there, like play, plays into letting you throw that triangle up, or would you just normally go for that even if it was a points period, or would you fight the sweep off? I mean, actually,
0: out. I- I would like to think I wouldn't go for that if it was the points period, but I did later on in this tournament. I had a match against Shunji for the bronze medal, and I did go for a flying triangle. But uh, lightning didn't strike twice that weekend.
3: <laughs> Gordon, what do you think about uh, watching these 2017 Craig's uh, matches? How do you rate Craig back then? How much has he improved? I mean, he
1: was he was good. I mean, but uh, it's like I said, it's a different person. Um, same thing with with me. Uh, you know, watching myself from those matches i'm like oh my god there's so many um i w- wouldn't say mistakes but just missed opportunities from like if you know you go through a minute of tape and you see five to ten missed opportunity and you're just like oh my god how did i not see that um but it's just it's a completely different completely different grapplers um you know craig is uh craig is much improved um you know back from then you know even just from the last you know six months or so he's he's gotten much better
3: Somebody says here in the comments, Craig, that uh Nathan Orchard told them he felt like he got hit by a car for a week after fighting
0: off that triangle, by the way. <laughs> oh, it was it was brutal. You know what I was I was doing a real arsehole thing. I couldn't finish the triangle in a traditional way. Orchard, he's pretty he's pretty damn tough at surviving submission sometimes. So I was literally taking my fist and trying to jam it mm. into his throat and getting to move. <laughs> a classic. It's a hilarious match. He was, I think, he actually faced Oliver Garza next, but he was dead after that. we were both dead.
2: Mike, do we have any more matches from ADCC 2017
3: lined up? No, no, that's it for 2017.
2: Th- then before you move on, um, that was such a unique venue. You know, is in Espoo, Finland, like a 30 minute drive away from Helsinki. Really kind of bizarre, but really cool town. But I just want to ask Craig. You know, that first day, those two submissions you had. Of course, you you submitted Leandro and then Marillo. Can you tell me what the that experience was like that evening? You know, you just submitted two, two legends, and there you are, but still going on to day two of ADCC, every submission grappler's dream, and uh, also such a unique setting where every athlete basically was in the same hotel in a remote area. You know, what, what was going through your mind that night? You know, what were those feelings like?
0: Well, it was hard to stay focused on. On day two, really, it was like my phone was blowing up, like I was getting sponsorship offers, super fight offers that night, like uh, obviously a lot of messages from friends and family. So I was doing my best to uh, <clears throat> keep my phone away from me and try and just focus on day two. But yeah, it was hard to not imagine uh, the opportunities that were gonna present themselves after that. So yeah, it did make it hard to focus on the second day. And
2: were you cutting weight? Cause you have to cut, you have to make weight every single day at ADCC. Was that a factor for uh, the
0: second day? No, you know what, I was, I don't know why I was worried about my weight, but I think on the second day I ended up weighing like 85 kilos or something. So I was like three kilos, like six pounds on the weight. Gotcha. Well, that was a a really special tournament.
2: We had a great time there, but we could probably keep moving it along. We can talk ADCC all day long.
0: We're going
3: away from ADCC on the next one. This is actually, we're going to go to a Gordon Ryan IBJJF match, something that that doesn't happen very often. So, Gordon, this is you and Kynan back in the day. This is, I remember talking with you. I talked with you after this match, and you're like, "Oh man, that guy's going to be good one day." It was like obviously he <laughs> went on to win ADCC uh, at the next Astana. Uh, so talk about this match a little bit.
1: Uh, yeah, so um, uh, I saw right off the bat. I saw him competing in his, a few other matches. Um, he's got a difficult guard to pass. Um, he is aware of you know what he, what frames he needs to put in place when um, to not get his guard pass. And I was actually looking forward to wrestling him, but uh, he, he sat right away. And uh, I knew I, – Kanan's kind of the kind of person where he has the ability to put pressure on you, um, but he's very much a reactive player. Um, so his whole thing is to get ahead on points and then force you to chase him, and that's when he goes and either passes you when you're overreacting or or gets to a submission. Um so I kind of realized this, like, halfway through the match. Like, you see, I put me in 50-50 here, and I he kind of swept me, and I was like, okay, no big deal. Um, but I kind of realized that he was just trying to put me in 50-50 and stall me out. Um, so uh, when I really – like, the last, I think, like, two to three minutes, I really started to pick it up and hide my legs so he couldn't just stall me in 50-50. Um, like, I was kind of just, like, you know seeing what he was going to do um, like the first half of the match, and then I realized that he was just completely contempt on – winning by points or advantages or whatever the case is. And that's when I started to really pick it up. Um, so you see I try to chase his back here, but he has the Achilles. That prevents me from actually getting my leg free to chase his back. Um, and uh, he ends up with the two points on top. And I try to make some stuff happen from bottom, but he kind of not disengages, but doesn't really engage until I start to open up. And then he tries to take my back in the, in the next couple of minutes.
3: How much did you change I mean this was there in your brief run of competing as a black belt in IBJJF how much did you change up your strategy under these rules compared to what you normally do
1: Um I just made it a point to learn the rules um you know, like I went to the rules meeting it's like a 3 hour rules meeting right like a day before this so uh I just wanted to know what the rules were so I could understand them and not you know get fucked or fuck myself um doing something illegal um so it's just to to know the rules and to uh to use cross hashi as more of a sweeping position. Doesn't really happen in this match, but uh, just to use leg entanglements for more of sweeping and back taking opportunities.
3: Yeah, that was pretty funny you using the cross there because so many people in the crowd were yelling out for you to be DQ'd. You understood the rules better than anybody.
1: Yeah, it happens every time. The rules too, they're yelling that it's illegal.
3: But uh, a lot of people get DQ'd yeah, as were- well. You know, they've taken cues from, from your
2: strategy, seen that it should work, but then across That's turn. What I mean. That's what
1: I mean. Post what they told me was legal and illegal in the rules meeting the day before. So if I get fucked, I can make, I can made a big deal out of it. <laughs>
2: Smart. Cover your bases.
3: Did you have any yeah, nobody, idea at this point? What did you know about Kynan going into this match? Obviously I think he was a new black belt at this point. What did you know about him?
1: I mean, I knew a lot about him. I've, I've studied him and I knew that Andre sent him here just to beat me. Um, oh really? Because, Where'd you hear that? I mean, it's a New York. I, mean, I didn't hear it, but it's a New York open. That like, for Nogi New York Open. I mean, why yeah. would he come unless I was in the division? I mean, he's like you know fly. He's going to spend you know a thousand dollars to fly across to New York and compete against me. Um, I competed in New York Open with nobody in the division. Um, so I knew a lot about him. I knew he I knew he won double gold Nogi World at Brown Belt. I knew he won uh, you know Worlds at Brown Belt. I knew he was uh he was coming up, and I um uh, I know he had the match against Pablo Popovich. Submitted Pablo pretty easily. At ADCC. Um I knew he doesn't really know leg locks. He got submitted by Keenan with the heel look, but uh, you know he does have um, definite skill. So, you know, I was ready to, uh, I was ready to, to play around with him. I, I kind of knew the gist of what he wanted to do. He's, I knew he's a reactive player, uh, but he was a really, he was really being reactive once he had his two points. So I kind of started to pick the pace up, like with three three minutes or so left.
3: How do you think this match would be different if you guys fought nowadays under ADCC rules?
1: Um, Well, if I could pull guard, I would just pull guard and, uh, based on the training, probably leg lock him pretty easily um, or sweep him and – or not pass his guard, but get past his legs and force him to turtle and take his back and finish him pretty easily. I don't think it would be competitive at all. Um, Actually, I know for a fact it wouldn't be competitive at all.
3: All right, Craig, so what are you thinking watching this match? You seen anything that you want to talk about? Wait, right here he just rolled he for a that, back
0: take. He, I mean, yeah. he did that back take to me and choked me with it, so I can't say too much.
3: Yeah, Gord, Gordon, right Gordon, now. talk about that situation there where he tried to roll for the back take. So maybe uh, rewind that, Caleb, up, if you can. Caleb, can you go back to right before he goes to the uh, – A little bit more. Right yeah, here, yeah. All right. Yeah, so you see I'm trying to move here? Yeah.
1: Yeah, okay, so the mistake was, if you go back...
3: Go back a also, little bit? Not, I,
1: I knew, I knew that this is potentially dangerous, but I just did it anyway because I wanted to make something happen. But I don't have an Achilles grip. I kind of just have two over wraps in the leg, so I have no real way to control his ankle when he goes through, so now he can create back exposure. Um, the, difference that, the difference between me and Craig is Craig set up and tried to chase his legs and created upper back exposure, whereas I put my back to the floor... And it was harder for him to control my upper back. Um, now he inserts one hook, and I pommel my top leg, my left leg here. When he goes to insert a second hook, I pommel my left leg behind his ankle, and I free my leg. Now he comes up and he's too high towards my head, and I have a scoop grip on the leg, scoop grip on the leg, and it allows me to uh, to get on top. So if you actually rewind that a little bit, that was um, pretty nice series there. So he has one hook in, so I deny him the second hook by taking my left leg up to my chest. Uh, and then as he goes to insert that second hook with his left leg, my left leg pummels behind his right ankle, and that allows me to clear that initial hook. So now he has no hooks in. And now he falls off the top as a like four-point, and the scoop grip allows me to get into a sweeping position.
3: Even with giving up the the one hook and almost getting your back taken, is that a move that you're happy you did just to open things up a little bit, just to get, get things moving?
1: Uh, yeah, because now I'm on top, and now he can't stall against me. Yeah, for sure.
2: But was that a bit and of a wake up that- call? You know, that was a little bit of a dangerous situation. We're like, oh shit, this guy, this guy's pretty talented. This guy could get me, maybe.
1: Yeah. So now, now we're like halfway through the match, and now I'm starting to pick it up. You see, I'm keeping my light, my feet to the inside, so we can't enter the 50 And you see, like from here on, like I was pretty, pretty lax days ago for the first part of the match, but you see, I really start to pick up the pummeling, and I'm like, really, now I'm putting like real pre- passing pressure on him.
3: All right, so now it's uh, still 2 0. He's got a couple advantages. Four minutes left.
0: Nice.
1: I almost trade back exposure when front heads now. I snap him down. Now I'm like really starting to put pressure on him. I go for a guillotine. I hit a Sumigeshi out to the side.
3: So I believe that should be two. Yeah, there, there's two points. All right, so we got three, three and a half left. So what. What do you think Kain is going to try and do here? Like, what do you think his strategy is? You, so you, you felt he was just going to try and win on advantages and you had to do something?
1: Uh, he's going to try – what he wants to do is enter into 50-50 or attack like a shitty cold like this with no real control of my leg just for just for the advantage and make me roll um, because right now it's he's up on advantages. So he's tr- just trying to entangle my legs, really, and uh, just hold on so he can win by advantages or get up on top. Uh, but I'm just having none of that at this point. I'm kind of frustrated that nothing has happened yet. So I'm 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 really turning up the pressure now, not even allowing him to enter into my legs and to get on top. And uh, you, you see him visibly start to fade in the last couple of minutes here.
3: Is this a, a match? Ch- yeah. Go ahead. Sorry.
1: I'm just c- constantly challenging either chest to chest, getting chest to chest, or. Using throw bys to get past his hip line, putting a lot of positional pressure on him from here.
3: Is this a match that you would want to run back in a super fight? Is this something that you've uh, been offered or trying to set up?
1: Uh, No, I'm not interested in this match at all because I will explain that, but I. Well, he won ADCC.
3: He won ADCC in 2019, so he's a big name.
1: Yes, I know. But there's a reason why I never compete against him, and I'll tell you why. It cost me a lot of money, but
3: I can't, I can't talk about it yet.
2: <laughs> okay. Okay. That's, that's an interesting detail there. Hope right, to hear that. All right. So we're
3: getting down the stretch here. There's, there's two minutes left. He got you to 50, 50. This is where you think he wanted to be. What are you thinking now?
1: Uh, so he's in 50, 50 and I'm like, yeah, there's no way he's ever sleeping here. So um, I'm basically just trying not to get swept and, simultaneously stand up at the same time. I don't have to worry about, as I go to stand up, my head coming too high over my hips. See how I'm bent over here? And he goes to sit me down. He wants to bring my shoulders over my hips. So I want to lean forwards and prevent him from sitting me back down. Now, if, he's perfectly content from here because he's winning three-to-one advantages. So I have to stand up and look and free my knee and push his feet down to the floor without him sitting me down or uh, even worse, coming on top. But you see, now I'm up, and now my feet come out. And now I start to put real pressure with Tori on to side to side. Knees coming through. Now there's a minute left.
3: Yeah, so this is a tough situation in IBJJF. you're down two advantages with a minute left.
1: Yeah. So you see I had a top panel here. And now as he goes to push me away, I shoot the knee past my hip line and I end up mounted. Boom, there it is. Now he goes to turn. But he gives us his back, and as usual, for all the top level guys. When you actually put them in a bad situation, there's no defensive reaction of any kind, no hand fighting, and uh, he just lets me strangle him essentially.
3: Yeah, that's something I wanted to ask you about uh, before. When you escape from the back, I feel like that's something that your team doesn't get that much credit for—is how good you guys are in bad situations, in your defense uh, from from. Uh bad positions, like almost having your back taken. You see the difference between you and Kynan's reactions right there. Uh, do you think that uh, has to do with a lot of the specific training you guys do? Uh,
1: yeah, for sure. Um, 95% of people, uh, competitors spend – or, sorry, most of the competitors spend like 95% of their time trying to not get put into bad positions. Um, I spend about 60% of the time fighting out a fully locked pins or submissions uh and trying to get into good positions so um not only do i have the most dangerous team as far as submissions in the world um uh, i'm trying to fight out of the most dangerous missions uh you know there are um i also uh am doing it every single day um which is something that people don't even practice at all like for example you saw um with the bjpx tournament like lucas barboza literally pushed on Kyle Bohm's knee and tried to deadlift his way out of a body triangle. Like things that just would never, ever work. Like uh, people don't even pr- – like I understand if you don't have the technical way to escape from like the overtime or bad spots, but like at least practice them. Like you can you can see that people's never even practice being these, in these positions. Um, so that's one thing that our team I think excels even further than, you know, anywhere else. Like I think we're better at escaping the back than we are attacking the back in terms of relative to, you know, what other competitors are doing.
3: Didn't Hulk call you out recently from a tournament I saw on Instagram or something?
1: Uh, yeah, he calls me out to no time limit matches, gi and no gi, um, which I don't compete in the gi, so I don't claim to be better than him in the gi, but he claims to be better than me in no gi. Um, but when it's actually time to compete in a no gi, no time limit match, he just always tells promoters, no. All the Atos guys just say, oh, yeah, I don't want to do no time limit. I'm like, but I already beat you guys in all of your rule sets, so will want you do one of my rule sets. So.
3: All right, I've had a, a few people in the comments ask uh, this question. They want to know what you guys are doing to stay in shape with everything closed down. With obviously like the gyms closed down and everything, what are you guys doing? I'll let Craig go first. What are you doing? They're still training. <laughs> no, you're training yeah, right. once a day. You're training once a day, which is not what you what you're used to doing. How how often do you normally train when things are are going?
0: Uh, me, I, I mean, I try and lift weights like three four times a week. We're training double sessions Monday Wednesday Friday singles every other day i mean i'm still getting in one solid session a day uh doing some like prison workouts at home some uh body weight stuff yeah but there's not i mean there's not a lot you can do right now it's pretty tough
3: you're not shrimping in your bedroom over there not hip escaping around the apartment or anything
0: no, I, I mean, it's pretty funny. I'm just imagining so many jiu-jitsu guys doing these solo drills for about 15 <laughs> minutes. i like, fuck that. I'll wait, for I'll wait for the gym to open back up.
3: Now, Gordon, you're a guy who, who goes to the gym and lifts weights a lot. What are you doing uh, right now for strength training?
1: Uh, so right now, um, it's not too much. I have, like, the base blocks at home that I do, like, some workouts with. Um, but right now, it's mostly jiu-jitsu. Um, I'm not doing too much uh, lifting-wise um i'm trying to get actually there's like this cool thing from i forget which company it is but it's like a it's like a squat rack basically with a bench press but you can fold like you you can push it up onto the wall so it doesn't stick out at all and the bench press folds up onto the wall so it only sticks out like this much i'm trying to put it in my garage they have like a bench press a squat rack a dip bar um so i'm trying to order that um it takes like four weeks to get here but if we're locked down than four, four weeks it'll be perfect because then i can do like prison garage workouts like Craig was talking about. Um, but most of my work right now is mental. Just thinking about the sport, the planning the DVDs, like teaching helps a lot. Um, watching matches helps a lot. Um, so when I can't be too active physically, um, it's, uh, it's a big uh, big help to stay active mentally.
3: How, how much time do you spend studying matches? Because I always see like Sonny will post a video of you, you know, watching a match on your phone or whatever. Do you spend a lot of time studying tape?
1: Um, after I compete, I like to watch my matches. Um, What happens when I, when I watch tape, I would watch a lot more tape, but basically we have John to watch tape. John watches tape all the time and then gives us like cliff notes or like what we need to, what we should be experimenting with. So I kind of have the luxury of having John to be the guy who watches tape. Um, But uh, what happens when I try to watch, I will watch tape, um, but it's not like I don't watch hours of tape a day. I watch maybe two hours of tape a week. I mean, it's not nothing crazy, Um, but, uh, what, happens, what ends up happening is when I try to watch tape on someone, it's like I'm looking at like two idiots, like trying to score two points and they're not doing it. I, I just end up, like one of the recommended things on YouTube comes up, I just end up watching matches of myself. And I'm like, oh, that was fucking sick. <laughs> so I like, end up watching like, matches of our team with like me or Craig or like, um, like Nikki Rod fighting Cyborg, like people who like actually do jujitsu. Um, so it's hard to, like, I'm like watching, um, I was watching uh, Patrick Gaudio. For ADTC, and I watched go. You know, saw a match with, like uh, between him, uh, Patrick Gaudio and Claudio Colasanz at ACB, in the Nogi match, and it was like a 15 minute match, and just nothing at all. Of the match happened, and I'm just like, I just wasted 15 minutes of my life. And then like a like highlight pops up of like Craig breaking my armor, and I'm like, oh, that's cool. Like let me see how I got out of the armor. So uh, it's uh, it's tough for me to to watch. You know, even as someone who loves Jiu Jitsu, it's tough for me a lot of times to watch the competitors, which is why it makes me scared. You know, like what is people who don't train the sport, like how are they gonna watch it if I love the sport and I can't even watch, you know, two guys fight for an event in ten minutes. It's 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 frustrating.
3: Something you just brought up that I'd like to hear you guys both talk about is when Craig armlocked you in that EBI. Let's uh, let's let's discuss yeah. that situation a little bit. Craig, first, you talk about what, what's going through your head during that situation, because that was a nasty uh, arm lock position.
0: Uh, I mean, I, I thought it was over, to be honest. But, <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I don't know what was going through my head. I was just trying to hang on to it. it the arm was sort of, like, cracking a little bit, but it was no, like, I didn't feel like it was a significant break or anything like that. Like, he was able to – I never shut down his movement completely. So as I'd lock it out – he'd move to the other side and vice versa back and forth. Yeah. I couldn't really get a a solid grip on it.
3: Were you like, Jesus, when, when's this guy going to tap? What's wrong with him? What, what, what are you thinking?
0: Yeah. I was like, fuck, this guy wants it more than me. <laughs>
3: <laughs> Gordon, how about you? What, what were we, what were, what, what were you thinking in that situation there?
1: Uh, so mechanically it's, drastically easier it's much easier to break your opponent when you can hold them in a static position uh, so if I was getting held in one spot and he was breaking my arm I, I would have tapped but I knew that because I was creating motion towards an escape that the break wouldn't be catastrophic it would only be you know some pop here and there it did pop um, but it wasn't like my arm broke in half and dislocated and I couldn't use my, my arm anymore um, but because I was creating motion towards an escape I knew that eventually I would get out and um, and then, again, and I had to fight, like, Yuri the next week. He, like, just won ADCC at the higher weight class. And I, had, I was like, yeah, I don't know what the fuck I'm going to do. Um, so I had to, like, just rest all week and then fight Yuri the side the next weekend. Um, but uh, for me, I knew that, number one, it was the finals of EBI. $10,000 for me was on the line. It was 15 for – or 20 for – or no, 15 for Craig. Um, and I was undefeated at EBI. So I was like, yeah. I was like, number one, it's, like, kind of a mixture of, like – Knowing mechanically that he couldn't hold me in a static spot. Uh, and number two, just not being a pussy.
3: <laughs> Craig, if you could go back, what would you do differently there to try and finish him with the arm lock?
0: Well, I mean, I train with him and I still can't finish him with a fucking armbar. So <laughs> <laughs> he's working he, he's on it.
1: If more, and probably would have worked.
2: Uh, Should we jump into another match analysis?
3: Before we go there, I want to uh, ask a question that somebody just asked in the comments, which is sort of interesting. Uh, They want to know what super fights you guys would want right now. Like, what athletes would you guys be looking to fight? I'll let Craig go first.
0: Uh, Obviously, Josh Hinger is going to be high on the list. I mean, I'm trying to think of what matches would be the most interesting, I guess, for the fans to watch, what would be the most enjoyable.
3: Do you want Josh more because uh, he... Set you up with that selfie pick at ADCC? Does that add to it?
0: Yeah. Josh rubs me the wrong way sometimes. Like, it's like almost a fake, a fake nice to me, I feel like. So, that would be a really nice match to have. Obviously, uh, we had that tragic uh, tag team match at the last submission underground. So, ultimately, matches against Vinny Margalesh and Kyle Bame would be pretty fun as well. I think think we were trying to set up the Kyle Bame match.
3: I think that that Kyle Bain one is one that a lot of people would like. Just, you know, 10th Planet's got a big following. What what do you think about the Kyle Bain match?
0: Yeah, I I would love that one. I would especially love it in a no-time-limit format. So we're forced to actually grapple each other until submission rather than, uh, which would be his preferences, no matter how long the match is. If there's EBI overtime, he's going to wait until overtime to really, uh, I mean, start to attack or really just try and win by ride time.
3: All right, Gordon. You are, I already, we already heard you call the Hinger Jones match Hinger Bame, Gordon. Let me hear you break it down. Hey,
1: you mean Hinger uh, and Craig, or uh, Kyle and Craig?
3: Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Kyle, Kyle and Craig. You're right. Yeah. Um, I mean, in no time limit match,
1: I don't really see how Kyle is going to submit Craig. Um, he's like Craig says, he's pretty he's overly conservative when it's EBI rules, but, uh, because he knows that. If he gets to overtime, he feels confident from there. Um, In a no-time limit match, uh, I see Craig submitting him pretty easily. I think that uh, Kyle will pull guard, um, and Craig will easily pass his guard and get to his back and finish him, uh, or finish uh, some sort of triangle variation from the top pin. Um, If Kyle ends up on top, I think that uh, Craig will either sweep him or enter into his leg and finish him. Uh, if you actually watch Kyle bombs match um, in the first BJ Pennx Brown Belt Tournament, um, he uh, is in like a dead to rights, fully locked inverted heel look against like some other random brown belt and uh, almost like gets broken. Like he pretty much has no defensive reactions. Technically, he just kind of toughs it out, and the guy's mechanics were kind of iffy, and he just ended up slipping the heel. But um, his actual level of technique is is, is pretty low. Um, in the EBI rules match, I see um, Craig just attacking him for the full 10 minutes and Kyle trying to not get submitted and then winning via overtime. Um, but I see uh, I see Craig not only escaping uh, Kyle's back attacks. Um, Lucas Barboza atta- or escaped his, um, his back a few times, and Lucas has literally zero idea of any kind how to escape the back from body triangle and he got out. Um, so I think Craig will get out pretty easily, and I think he'll finish him from the back so i I don't really see Kyle's path to victory there at all under either circumstance all
3: right Gordon you basically uh say everybody's trash that that you talk about is there anybody outside of the Dan or her yeah. team that you're like all right this guy's got good technique i I really respect it like who who are some other athletes outside of your guys team that you're like all right this person's pretty good
1: um I think that uh Mikey is very good um especially positionally he's very 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 good positionally um, I didn't really get to fill his submissions too much but I, I, I speak very highly of Mikey um, I think that uh, Marigali is very good because he finish actually goes out and finishes people looks to finish people and if he loses it's because he's trying to finish people usually and not playing a tactical game um, I think that Keenan is very good at what he does I think that he has a few tricks and you know th- the things that Keenan is good at. He's very good at. Um, Once you get outside of that, it kind of falls apart. Um, If he he can't get you into his game, um, like Leandro Lowe, for example, doesn't let him start to play his game and ends up usually beating him. Um, So there's a couple flaws there, but I think that what he does do, he's very good at. Um, Hodger, obviously, is very good because he goes out and he finishes the best guys in the world. Um, Anyone who, in my book, uh, just because you win doesn't make you good. Um, being able to finish the best guys in the sport, I think, I believe is what makes you good. Um, so those are, those are the guys I think who are, you know, in my book, good at Jitsu. You trained there's,
3: with Mikey. The difference
1: between good, yeah. There's a difference between being good at winning and being good at jujitsu. There's a lot of guys that are good at winning, but there's not a lot of guys that are good at jujitsu.
3: I forgot when you, when you brought up Mikey, I forgot you trained with Mikey in the Gi recently, right?
1: I did. Yeah. But I was really sick. I did like, uh, I didn't actually train with him in the gi. I trained with Roberto like a half a round. um, And I had a stomach virus like after the quintet. Craig had it before the quintet. Vinny got it when he went to Nogi Worlds. Everyone in Vegas had it. I got a bad bad stomach virus. And like halfway through the round, I like had to shit my pants and like almost threw up. So I did like one round with Roberto, like half a round with Roberto, and I couldn't train anymore. So I didn't actually get to train with Mikey in the gi. All of our rounds were no gi.
3: Okay. And uh, what was it like training with him? I mean, this is a guy who's – setting up to fight a bunch of guys your size now. What's it like rolling with Mikey? Uh,
1: he's got undoubtedly the hardest guard to pass that I've ever come encounter with. Um, when I train with anybody or compete against anybody in the world, uh, I pass the guard relatively easy if, uh, easily. If I turn it up, um, I wasn't able to pass Mikey clean to side control one time. We trained like I don't know, five or six times, like six to eight minute rounds and I wasn't able to pass him clean into side control uh, one time. So I mean, positionally he's good. His guard passing feels good. Um, he, uh, I mean, we, we stalemated a lot of the rounds. It was me trying to pass him clean into side control. Um, when I started mixing back takes and things and things in like that, where I would threaten to pass and then go for his back I would have a little bit more success. But for a few time a few like rolls, I tried just to pass him into side control. I was like, I'm gonna pass this little fucker, um, but I couldn't get past <laughs> his guard. Um, yeah, he's only 100, and he was cutting weight for something. Uh, he was only like 135 pounds at the time, and I was like 215, 220. So, um, you know, that's that's really impressive in my
3: look. So, okay, before we move on, uh, what is a match that you would want, Gordon? You've beat basically everybody, but is there any matches out there that you would want uh, when things start back up?
1: Um, so, you know, any of the guys uh, that I've lost to, Recently, I would like to compete against, and right now, I've pretty much beaten everyone, so I'm just circling back and trying to submit the guys that I didn't submit yet. Um, so all the high-level guys that I haven't submitted, I'm trying to get rematches with them so I can go back and submit them now.
2: Does a match with uh, Buchecha interest you? you yeah, know,
3: he, he was on here the other day. We had
2: him on the show last week. He, and uh, He
3: was saying he wants another shot at you. What do you think about a Buchecha match? Yeah,
1: I think that would be great. Um, I mean, it's probably going to be relatively difficult to guys agree to a rule set, but I mean... ADCC rules of work. Obviously, my preferred rule sets are no time limit, and then EDI will be number two. Um, but I don't see Vachetta ever doing a match under either one of those rules. sets. What did um, he say? What, what,
2: what
3: rules did he say? He had he had rules that he said he would want to fight Gordon. Do you remember what he said?
2: I think he said um, nothing about f- like format or overtimes, but just twenty minutes. He said no no time limit matches. Yeah, no, he's he, not going to do. He's no not time big limit. On no time limit but I think he's open to a no-game match with all submissions legal, that kind of thing. I think it was like a 20-minute time limit.
1: <laughs> Sorry, Gordon. You're kind of cutting out a little bit Can
2: there. Can you
3: repeat that?
1: I said, uh, I said, yeah, because in a no-time limit match, you'd actually have to submit me to win. But, uh, <laughs> what do you think minutes, about
2: – Looking back at that yeah. final, you know, Bouchesha, of course, lost. He doesn't love that match. He doesn't like the way it played out. What are your thoughts about how it transpired and uh, you know your legacy for winning that
1: match? Um, so you saw a clear change in the dynamic of the match. Um, he actually, the first few minutes, he came forward and tried to attack me. And then the second I swept him clean to mount and then he got back on top, uh, it was a completely different match. I think that he got spooked by the fact that I... Got halfway to his back when he tried to escape the mount, but I was managed to take him over and land in mount. And I think that he kind of, uh, you know, backed off and played a really conservative game from there. Um, if you see the first part of the match until the sweep, he actually is coming forward and doing jiu jitsu. And then if you see the rest of the match, he's kind of just pulling out of everything. Um, so, you know, that's as expected. It was hard. I was kind of, uh, you know, Bushesh is famous for being huge and explosive. Um, and like winning matches when he's losing in like the last like, couple minutes. Um, people don't talk about it, uh, but I weighed in at 210 pounds in the second day. And Bouchesha weighed in at like 265, uh, And he's a lot more explosive than I am already at that weight. Um, so I was definitely not over committing to things where I knew that just with one mistake, he could just explode past my guard and hold me for three seconds and then stall me, stall me out. So see if, if you see a lot of the match, I'm playing with my foot on his hip and trying to play with things that will keep wedges between me and him. Um, but I think the, the, the dynamic of the match definitely changed when uh, when I swept him, and he kind of played a lot more conservative from there on.
3: What about Pergisa? Is Pergisa one that you want? I'm sure you want to run back a Pergisa match.
1: Uh, yeah, but every time – well, he tried to initially price himself out um, – just asked an absurd amount of money but now he lost to andre and i've won everything so he can't really do that anymore um so now he just agreed to a no time this has been this has been happening since the first time i fought him he agreed to a no time limit match in text message like have it right there and uh then we're like okay when can we do it he's like i'm not doing no time limit um so we can just never agree on a rule set even in the first match he wanted. To, uh, he wanted to do. It was an hour EBI overtime. And then he tried to change 30 minutes. And he tried to change 20 minutes. And he just keep always wants to change the rules, so we can never agree on a rule set. And he just always agrees to shit and then just goes back on it. And I'm just sick of dealing with trying to negotiate with him because I don't need him to do anything. Like he's gonna sit at home and watch me just keep beating everyone. And I mean, it doesn't really matter to me. I don't need him for my career anymore. Um, you know, he's not really. He beat me two years ago, three years ago. Now I mean, it's not. Really relevant anymore. I mean, I would love to compete against them, but I don't need like I'm not going to break my back like trying to get a match with them because I don't really care. Like, if the longer it takes for us to get a match, the worse it's going to be for him. Like, I'm just going to crush him worse and worse every single day that goes on.
2: We got this uh, question that has come up a few times throughout the the podcast here. I don't know if you guys have been paying attention. This match may or may not take place. This fight, but Tony Ferguson is taking on Khabib. Do you guys watch much MMA? And are you excited about two of the best grapplers with kind of opposing styles going head to head? How do you see that match playing out? If, if you have any thoughts about it?
1: Uh, yeah, I don't yeah, really study would... too MMA. Sorry, Greg, you want
0: to go? Oh no, you go, you go.
1: Uh, I don't really watch MMA too much unless it's guys that I'm that I'm friends with. Um, but I don't study it. I watch it for pleasure. But I don't like study intently. Um, but uh, I believe Kevin Lee was easy was uh, pretty uh, was able to easily uh, hold uh, Tony Tony Ferguson down. Um, so I think that Khabib will be able to hold him down pretty easily, especially on the fence. Uh, so I see uh, I, I see Khabib putting him against the fence and taking and putting him down and and exhausting him Um, Tony has pretty good Grammys from certain positions so um, he could get away a few times but I think over time
0: Khabib's going to wear him down and hold him up against the fence and Craig what do do you think about that match Uh, I really don't know I I really just hope it actually happened I saw Dana White saying 249 is like an undisclosed location or something it's meant to happen this weekend yeah
2: no I think it's a couple weeks from now actually Uh, Um,
0: yeah I want to say it's mid April Oh, it's mid-April, right? Yeah, I mean, I really hope it happens. If that's the only sporting event on that weekend, I can't imagine how many people are actually going to watch it. It's going It might be one of the biggest fights ever. I think it's pretty, pretty exciting, though. I hope Tony Ferguson, that crazy bastard, finds a way to win. <laughs> He's a unique guy. I love watching his training
2: videos. He's definitely got a, a unique approach. Um, on that note of MMA, Gordon, you had talked about potentially moving over. Is that still on your timeline? Do you still plan to move over to MMA at all?
1: Uh, Yeah, so after I finished uh, with all the competitions for 19, uh, me and John and the team sat down. Uh, Right now, at least, um, we need someone who's competing and, like, beating everyone like I am at the top levels of jiu-jitsu and someone for MMA. So right now, Gary's going to be the person who's carrying our flag in mixed martial arts. And for right now, at least, until we have, like... uh, you know, Craig can actually win a tournament or, you know, Nicky Rod can uh, start talking people or, you know, Nicky Ryan. Um, you know, one of the juniors can come up and, and start, you know, really beating the world's best guys, um, you know, consistently like I am. Uh, I'm going to stick to Jiu-Jitsu for right now. So we have, uh, you know, kind of our brand in both in both uh, both areas.
3: All right. You, uh, you want to move on to another one? Yeah, another let's match. check it out. What do we have next? Uh, we got uh, Craig versus John Blank from ADCC. Oh, yeah, John Blank was on a tear this tournament. He- yeah, he had a great tournament.
0: Who who did he beat? He beat Murillo, Rustam Chisiev. He,
3: he, yeah, he, he hooked Rustam and he beat Murillo before this match, I believe, and this is the semifinal. So what, what happened right there? Yeah. Go, go back a second to, if you can, Caleb, to when Craig is still sitting. This looked too easy.
0: He was just keeping his head too low from the initial position, able to give me that front head.
3: To to the arm and- I, thought,
0: I thought I was going to finish it right here, but uh, John Blank's sub-defense is pretty good. I was confident going into this match because we had previously faced off a Kasai and I was able to get the better of him. So, go, yeah, going into this one, I was pretty confident. Plus, I think John Blank's a little undersized maybe for the 88-killer division. And basically, his big leg locks and uh probably my biggest strength as well. Like, it was a good style matchup.
3: Gordon, what did you think about that sweep there where he just sort of grabbed the front head and rolled him right over?
1: It was beautiful. Uh, You know, Once he had the guillotine, John tried to counter it by getting uh, using Achilles to get his knees inside and moving into an ashigurami. If he would have gotten his uh, right knee to the inside, he would have actually countered the front head and had an ashigurami. But he, because Craig's hips were so close, he actually pulled himself into a closed guard and had to roll over into bottom mount. Uh, It was a beautiful, beautiful smash in the front head by Craig. It just it shows the perfect dilemma of when the legs are away from you, the upper, upper body is always available.
0: So right here,
3: he gets out of the mount. So walk us through this, Craig.
0: Yeah, just trying to high-step out of his um, his position there. John Blank does have some pretty uh, slick entries. I remember at the combat jiu he came very, very close to heel-hooking Yuri Samos. He uses the toe control to try and keep it wedged in, but um, – he exposed his back when he sort of dragged it to try and attack an outside heel hook. Man, that was a
2: lightning-fast bat
0: take. I mean, yeah. like, really. Right
2: to the body yeah, can we step one more time, Caleb? That was really cool. Just uh, a little bit further back. Yeah, right here.
0: Yeah, so he switches it up to try and attack an outside heel hook, but he didn't really have any hip control or any sort of hip height over my position there, so it was really just exposed his back to me there.
3: What's up Straight with into the... Uh... the tr- Your shorts, Craig. (laughs) What's the deal with the shorts that you (laughs) owe? Getting
0: to the real questions here. (laughs) I I sort of decided to wear the leopard print in a sort of ironic, sort of just trying to be funny and stuff. But what shocked me was how popular they were and how many people love them. (laughs) Seems like uh, there's a lot of brands with the leopard print out. I did claim that the leopard print is, but um, I'm not going to let him have that one. We're going to have to have a match to decide who keeps the uh, leopard print
2: shorts oh, beef nice
3: who's the other person who wears the leopard print
2: we got we got perez dylan
0: dylan danis is wearing leopard print oh Evan Belater. that's that's right yeah actually i remember when we went i was out in kazakhstan and i was making jokes about hunting snow leopards and we put up the snow leopard design and actually that was a joke itself but people were so uh interested in the snow leopard designer shorts i think that's probably the next place we'll take them
3: Snow leopard, also
0: angry. Go. I believe, yeah. if I remember correctly, that <laughs> they didn't like the joke very much. <laughs> no, really. you can't make jokes about hunting uh, endangered species. Apparently, I'm trying to hold off on any Corona jokes right now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. you've done great. I haven't heard one this whole podcast. Something. Okay,
3: okay. A, a name yep. that ju- a name that just came up that I think we got to get to the bottom with this is uh, Gordon. What is up with you and yep. Dylan Danis? You and D- you really don't like Dylan Danis.
1: Uh, it's not that I don't like him he's just so easy to troll because he just he does it to himself like everything he posts just contradicts what the actual facts are so it's just easy to troll him and he knows that he can't actually say anything back to me because number one I just hit him with facts and then what are you going to say and number two if he posts anything about me on his page I'm, sh- I'm just going to get a- more following so he can't. He has to just sit there and just absorb it all, uh, absorb it all while I just fuck with him all the time it's just fun yeah. for me. I don't really hate him. He hates me, but I don't hate him. But it's just so easy because he's just so stupid. All the shit that he posts is just so stupid. It's so easy to troll him.
3: Yeah, I mean, you're you're pretty vicious to deal with on Instagram. It's uh, I mean, I'm I'm not scared to admit I I don't want to get on your bad side on there. I mean, you go after these people. Who 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 have you already defeated on Instagram? <laughs> Ruth Chris Steakhouse, think Costco. You was Macy's on the hit list. <laughs> I feel like I saw Macy's. Uh,
1: yeah. yeah. Lucas Lucas Barbosa tries, but he just gets crushed every single time. And then he just like doesn't and then like every like it like people forget about it like every two months and he tries to go back at me and I just crush him again.
3: <laughs> All right. So let's go. We got uh, we got another match here. This is actually this is Gordon versus Spriggs, uh A D C C Spriggs had hit a couple good guillotines here. What do you what do you think of going to get up against Spriggs, uh, Gordon? This
1: is another good one. I'm like, oh, spazzy idiot that I have to compete against again. Great.
3: You don't got much so respect. He, for he literally, just, he literally
1: just spazzing around. Like, look at him. There's no actual intention with any of the movements. He's just moving around. He manages to submit to fleet by Andrew with the Gi team earlier, the first match. So I'm like, wow, he actually hit a submission on someone. Um but then he tried to guillotine me, and I just brought my ear to his far shoulder and took his back immediately. But um, again, another guy who just like is like spastic, jumps all over the place, like overreacts to every movement. Like when I like go to harass his feet or grab his legs, like he, he just like jumps around randomly.
3: Not much respect for Spriggs' technique then, from coming from you. I take it. <laughs> <laughs>
1: <laughs> He's literally just jumping around.
3: So then, what you do you think? The same thing to he just
1: like jumps around randomly. So I'm thinking I just have to get a, the second I get a hold of him, I'm gonna finish the match. But I just I, I can't get a hold of him right now. Every time he tried to move towards him, he backs away or jumps around and resets. So you see, now I have a grip on his ankle. And now this allows me to get into an Ashigarami. Now he tries to backstep, but I follow him with the right leg. And uh, Big Gord, Big Gord, hey, <laughs> doing an interview. It's
2: okay, bring him on, bring in. him on in. <laughs> get some Big Gord action. I have
1: him, I have him, I have him in, a, in a, an outside Ashi. I'm trying to shoot him down, but he does he does a decent job of keeping his hips. Uh, well back behind his shoulder so I can't actually sit him to his butt. And I try to get something going by exposing his back by rolling him through with the heel hook. but he tries to attack my back. But because I had control of his leg, he just pulled me on top of him. So if you go back...
3: Go back a little bit, okay, there. Alright.
1: Okay, so he got rolled through. He gets the knee free, he tries to roll through, but he said I hold on to his left leg. and just pulls me on top of him. So he essentially just swept himself, going yeah. to my back. And now I knew he was going to try to stand up. <laughs> so now I knew he was going to try to stand up on, on me um, because he doesn't really have any dart of any kind um, so I was just waiting for him to forward shift me with his legs and try to explode up uh, so as he did that I started chasing the back I knew he'd give me back exposure he tried to gui-team me but I did a good job of bringing my right ear over to his far shoulder and uh, now it's just a matter of controlling him when they roll through
2: Caleb can we see that sequence and one more time when uh, they wrestle up to their feet
1: so you see he goes to gui-team but I drive my head across to his far shoulder so now he puts his hand behind his back now it's just a matter of controlling his shoulder with the right hand and his hips with my uh, right leg. If you go back, actually, real quick, you see the diagonal control between my right hook and my right arm. I control his right hip, ranging across to his left shoulder. So it gives me full control of the body, ranging across diagonally from the right hip to the left shoulder. And now, uh, now when he went to go to roll through, because I controlled both sides of the body, I was able to you know, follow him through easily and, uh, get, everything controlled and then from the back he was kind of just playing really defensive like two hands up like just trying not to get submitted but I knew it was just a matter of time before I broke through to a submission mean, just eight minutes left to take his back on the first two so I knew it was just a matter of time until eventually I broke through to submission
3: and then you guys bat, your guys bet your back control uh series I mean you guys are super dominant from there I mean how often like even in training how often do people even escape from you when you get to the back
1: uh, almost zero percent of the time How about like craig? if we get someone's back it's pretty much a hundred percent submission rate um there are people who escape occasionally but uh i mean for the most part it's, it's close to a hundred
3: percent finish rate craig did you pick up a lot on this back uh attack series when you got over there
0: uh yeah yeah for sure i mean it's, especially with the escapes gordon's uh showing me some of the some great body triangle escapes from this position which uh up until that point, I really believe the body triangle was the end of the match. <laughs> you know what? I actually noticed is, Gordon. When you guys reset, I swear you had the body triangle on the bottom side, and when you reset, you swish it to the top side.
1: I did. I didn't do that intentionally. I just it just happened. But I, I didn't do that. I didn't, wasn't trying to be a dick and put it in a different different spot. But I just I just set it up, and that, that was that was Tim, it. Tim's did face
0: didn't, didn't even notice that. Yeah, even Tim didn't notice. <laughs> yeah so there's one point towards
1: the end of the match I don't know if you want to fast forward if you want to let it play through where uh, he actually makes a big mistake and that's why I, I finish when I go to take I believe it's my left hand across his jaw in the end of the match instead of just scooting his back to the floor he, try, he chooses to roll through to turtle and rotate to the other side that's what allows me to finish him pretty easily we'll take a look at it when it comes up
3: yeah I mean how, how long did you stand his back are we almost there
1: uh, it's a few minutes. Do you want to fast forward a little bit? I think yeah, it's like two or may- three minutes.
3: Maybe jump forward a little bit, Caleb. Right here is probably good. We just went forward a couple minutes, I think. So what what would you be doing if you're Tim here? Uh, he's going to try to be
1: able to trap
3: Here he uh, either turtle. one... Is that, yeah, is that I the mistake? I don't think. Okay, sorry. That thought, it wasn't
1: here. was my hand across his neck. He's going to either be trying to get his shoulders out to the floor and turn inside me to get to top guard at the bottom mount, or to try to trap one of my legs in between his legs and disrupt my feet. But he's basically not doing either one of those. He's kind of just, I mean, here a turtle. But up until that point, he's kind of just has, has his hands up defensively and is not really doing anything. It Should be coming soon though. So he's not moving his hips or anything or doing anything with his legs. He's kind of just prolonging getting
3: submitted. All right, Craig, let me hear you, Coach Tim Spriggs.
0: <laughs> the new exercise. Let, me, let me hear it. Um Well, I, I for one would be trying to break that body triangle while maintaining the hand fight. He's not making – I mean, yeah, like Gordon said, really, he's just trying to survive here. I think at this point he just wants to have lasted the match and not let Gordon submit him that's that's okay the you see I this oh, how to escape.
1: let's go back let's go back a second okay stop so you're gonna notice just pause it real quick okay now you're gonna notice i have two hands over his shoulder which means okay, i don't have a control full real fast? hand
2: fast sorry gordon we can make sure everyone at home can see this and then pause it still uh slightly back okay a little all right there we go sorry gordon go ahead
1: Okay, so usually you have one control hand and one strangle hand. For me, I have right now, I have one, I have two hands on top, which means I have no control hand. So right now, the correct response for Tim would be to start taking his shoulders out to the floor because my right arm isn't underneath his, underneath his arm. So there's no reason, because I have no, no control hand, there's no reason why Tim can't scoot his two shoulders out to the floor and force me to reset by pulling his shoulders off the ground with my left hand and shooting my right arm back underneath the arm. That's what he would have done if he was if he gave me the correct reaction. If you actually pass forward, uh, not not right now, but if you actually pull the Gary Tonin match, if you guys want to study that, Gary gives the correct response and he forces me to reset and I don't actually strangle him there. But Got Tim, it. instead of putting his shoulders out to the floor and forcing me to reinsert my right hand as a control hand, he rolls all the way through. Right now it's hard to lock a strangle because I can't get my right elbow to the same axis as my shoulder line. It runs into the floor here, but when Tim rolls through, he allows me to pull my right hand out, and now because my shoulder line and my elbow are on the same axis, it makes it easy for me to insert the strangle hand right behind his back. So instead of bringing his back out to the floor and forcing me to insert my right hand as a control hand again and having to restart from square one, he rolls through from turtle. Go ahead, and as he rolls through, this allows me now to have a free right hand and that easily inserts behind his back it doesn't run to the floor anymore and i can easily extract my elbow to the same axis as my shoulder line and the strangle comes in easily so it's just a big mistake on this part
3: nice nice all right well it looks like we've been going for about 90 minutes probably wrap it up a little bit soon you got anything uh any questions sticking out that you want to ask him chase before
2: man that's pretty comprehensive you know i'm very excited to hear gordon that you're you're looking to take matches still in grappling at least uh at some point when things when things calm down one name that just popped up in the chat that i think would be cool i don't I don't believe it's happened ever um would be rafael lovato jr um you've never faced him at all right i know he's been at the same adccs but you guys never ran into each other
1: i have not no he's always uh He's always he's been taking matches while he's grappling, but I'm pretty sure he wants to do like a full jitsu uh, jitsu camp for me. I don't think he wants to compete against me while he's trying to fight MMA. Um, but now that he's just grappling, um, you know it would be great to have a match with him. Um, I'm pretty sure that he's he's actually asked a few promoters I think for matches with me. Um, so it would be great to compete against him. I've never competed against him, and he's one of the you know American legends, and he's he's won you know pretty much everything. Um, so it'd be It'd be fun to compete against him for sure.
2: Very nice.
3: Uh, this this question has been asked a few times. Uh, people are saying, Gordon, what do you think of JT Torres? Uh,
1: I mean, he does great against people, um, you know, from his own weight class. Uh, he's very strong um, for his weight. Like he's abnormally strong for 77 kilograms. Um, when we trained in Miami, uh, he did a great job of uh, – he did. He did great with everyone there, but his game just matches up so poorly with mine. Um, like everything that he tries to do, just plays directly into my game. So it was it was a rough day for him. Um, but he does great with people on his weight class.
3: All right. So before we get going, I'll let you guys both get a little chances to say whatever, say what you want to your fans. Craig, I'll let you go first. You got anything to say to your fans out there, people?
0: Whatever. Anything to say? Um... I don't know, just uh, stay strong with the quarantine and hopefully we'll have uh, professional grappling back before the end of the year.
3: Yeah, we're on the same page there. (laughs) Somebody just said in the comments, this has been the Gordon Ryan show with a picture of Craig Jones in the corner. (laughs) (laughs) uh, All right, Gordon, you got anything to say? Uh, Yeah, I mean, you know, obviously
1: it's, um, it's imperative to stay mentally in the game. Um, you know, like when I had my, my knee surgery, uh, you know, I couldn't physically train obviously, but I felt that when I came back, um, to training hard, I was actually better than I was, um, before I'd gotten hurt. Um, that's just cause I was, I was really thinking more about the sport. I was teaching, um, I taught a lot of seminars. I made instructional things like that. Um, I was helping people after class with questions. Um, so, you know, hard work is the hardest kind of work, um, that you can do, and people do anything to avoid, or sorry, hard mental work is the hardest kind of work you do. Um, and every, people will do anything they can to avoid mental work. Uh, people have no problem going to the gym and doing a hard physical workout for two hours, getting exhausted, going home, being sore, things like that, but if you ask someone to sit in front of a computer for two hours and dissect the match, um, it's the end of the world. Um, so while we can't all train physically, uh, it's very important to stay uh, you know, with the game mentally. Um so that when you go back, even though physically you have to get used to the timing and everything again, but mentally you're still sharp so you know at least where you want to uh, be going in you know every one of your exchanges. Um so it's very important to stay sharp mentally. So when you go back, you you still have uh, you know the ability to hit all the cool moves that you guys want.
2: Right on, guys. Well, thank you so much for the time and all the analysis and breakdowns. been great chatting with you both. Stay safe out there on the East Coast. And uh, hopefully the next time we talk will be about the return of competition season. We're hoping, fingers crossed, that comes soon. Everyone at home, thank you guys for tuning in and watching. Uh, same goes to you. Stay safe, stay smart and sane out there. Michael, thank you for hosting an excellent show. And we'll see you guys back tomorrow on another episode of Who's Number One. Who is our guest tomorrow?
3: Tomorrow is Kyle Terra, and then the day after that is Lucas Lepre. So.
2: Very nice. Well, stay tuned for those episodes, and we'll catch you on the next time on Who's Number One. See you guys later. I fun-